This morning, we're starting our new series, The Way to Life. And I'm going to read some verses uh, from Matthew chapter 5. Over the next months, we're going to be working through Matthews 5, 6, and 7. This is what it says. It'll come up on the screen behind me. When he saw the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This passage is known as it's the start of a passage known as the Beatitudes, well known. And uh, I just want to encourage you, just as we start, Guy Miller, who heads up Commission, has produced a, a, a little uh, a publication, a little book on Uh, the Beatitudes, and there's a number, and for those of you who weren't at West Point camping with us at West Point last summer, there's a number of them on the front desk. As you go out through the doors on your left-hand side, they're free. Please take one. You'll enjoy working your way through them in the mornings if you uh, have time to do that, but they're excellent resource, so I encourage you to take them. The Way to Life. Sometimes we have all sorts of questions about the point of things. Now, I'm not a, I, I, I love cars, but I'm not very good with them. And I, I remember years ago having a, a sign come up on the dashboard, the dashboard light. Unfortunately, my, well, glad my dashboard light wasn't like that with all those sort of things all over it. But the light came on and the light came on and I'm looking at it thinking, oh, it's the brakes. So I take the car to the garage. I say to the uh, guys in the garage, look, there's a problem with the brakes. Can you, uh, the light's coming on. Um, so I leave the car with them. They, uh, they take the tires off. They check the brake pads. I come back, pick the car up. They say, there's nothing wrong with the brakes. The brakes are fine. I say, well, okay, that's fine, but the light came on, drive away, driving down the road, the light comes on again. I'm thinking, oh, blow, this is the right pain. Take the car straight back to the garage. I say, look, you haven't sorted it. The light comes on, the guys go, okay, leave the car with them, come back a little later, and uh, they say, there's really nothing, I don't know what it is, there's nothing wrong with the brakes. I drive away again, as I'm driving away, the light comes on again, and um, I suddenly think, let me get the manual out. Of course, it was the water uh, light. It wasn't the brake light at all. Uh, So I didn't go back to the garage this time. I actually just went and put some water in the car. You know, there are moments, aren't there, where there are things that we don't really know what they are. There's maybe a button on something, and you're not quite sure what it does. Uh, uh, It feels a little pointless to us. None of us like things like that. None of us like being in pointless meetings, do we? We all want our, everything to be purposeful. We want our lives to be purposeful. We don't want to waste our lives. Life is too precious. We don't want to fail. So we give ourselves to all sorts of good things, bringing up our children, family, career, doing good things. And yet, none of these really ever answer the nagging question, what is the purpose of my life? 
We want to make the most of it. We don't want to fail. Francis Chan says this, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding in thing, at things in life that don't really matter. We want to give our, things to, our lives to things that really matter. What really matters? What is life all about? And to find out, we need to go back to the maker's instructions, just like I did with the car. I had to go and get the car manual out, and I had to look at the, the manual to find out what, uh, the, uh, uh, what the symbol on the, the, the dashboard that was flashing at me, what it actually meant. I thought I knew what it meant, but I didn't. I needed to go back to the maker's instructions. And if we're going to find out what life is really all about, the purpose of life and the way to life, we need to go back to the one who breathed life into us in the first place. We need to spend time with him. Ironically, we seem to spend most of our energy trying to squeeze the most out of life, whilst at the same time ignoring the one who gave it to us in the first place. Our willful independence from the one who created us. The Bible calls that sin. Our willful independence from God has caused us no end of trouble. It's caused trouble in the world we live in. We see it all around us. It's caused trouble in our own personal lives. And it's caused trouble in our relationships with each other. The world's in a mess. Because deep down, we're all in a mess. So what's the point? Well, God has the answer. And he sent Jesus to reveal it to us. Jesus' disciples were called followers of the way. They were going somewhere. They had a commonality of purpose. And today we talk about being on a journey and everyone's journey being different. Jesus begs to differ. He says that the way to life is narrow and not many find it. You see, Jesus, the point Jesus is making is this, is that the way is not a direction or a trajectory. It's not an idea or a set of principles. The way is a person. Jesus is the way. We can only come to his father through him. There is no other way. Not every way leads to God. Not every road leads to heaven. The way to life is not found by keeping a set of rules or trying to behave better. Jesus simply says, follow me. He require, his way requires faith. Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. In the next four months, we're going to be unpacking this Sermon on the Mount. These 107 verses hold the key to the way to life. Jesus' words are authentic, they're relevant. He sets out the qualities that every believer, every follower of Jesus should aspire to. It's not just for a few high achievers. Whatever our background, whatever our age, whatever our gender, whatever our ethnicity, whatever our circumstances, he uh, has set the way for us to live. He shows us 
the way to life. Really interesting. In that first moment, Jesus goes up the mountain. He goes up the mountain and the, he sits down with his followers. They're all around him. And they're, they're listening. They're about to listen. They're, they're waiting for his words. These, these people, many of them are passionate about seeing their country released from the oppression of the Romans. They're sitting around, they're, they're looking, they're, they're passionate. They want to they wanna see their country set free from Roman oppression. And so they're listening intently to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus, as he's sitting down the, on the mountain, he, he's, he's about to bring something profound and they're waiting, they're hanging on his every word. It's, it takes us back to the Old Testament, that picture, the story in the Old Testament of Moses going up the mountain. And Moses going up the mountain, at the, at the mountain he received the law, the way that God's people in the Old Testament were to live, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus comes and brings, is going to bring God's way. Moses brought the law, Jesus comes though with grace and truth. Moses brought answers. Jesus is the answer. And so the first thing that Jesus brings is this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He's talking about honesty. But the first thing he says is, blessed and the word is, the Greek word makarios is like happy, happy, happiness. The trouble is, when we think of happiness, we think of something that's really subjective, how we feel. So I feel happy because Southampton win football games. So it's a pretty tough life really, isn't it? I feel happy because it's sunny outside. Those are subjective things. And, and when the circumstances don't line up, we don't feel happy anymore. That isn't what Jesus is saying. When he's talking about happiness, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about something that's more objective. He's, he's saying, what, he, what Jesus is saying, if you listen to what I say and you put it into practice, you will experience the blessing of God in your life. Something that goes way deeper. You will know the real meaning of happiness. And so when things don't work out, you will, can still know joy. You can still know a deep joy, even though your circumstances aren't right, because you know something of the ways of God and the heart of God. And so the first thing he says is, blessed, happy are those who are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And he's talking about honesty. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we talk about uh, 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 things like this, we look on the surface. I don't know if you've ever taken an apple and, and, and gone to eat an apple. And it's a beautiful looking apple. It looks beautiful on the outside. And you take a bite and you, you bite in and you, you step back and you're chewing it and, and you look at the apple and inside it's all rotten. Have you ever done that? You think, oh, wow, it looked beautiful. The outside bit was, was nice, but inside it's rotten to the core. You see, 
The secret of life starts with us realizing our true condition before a holy God. We can look right on the outside, but on the inside there is something radically wrong. Something radically wrong. You see, if we believe before God we are basically good, we're not bad people, we are real, in real trouble. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, what he's talking about, he's talking about realizing that we are spiritually bankrupt before a holy God. We're like people who think we're one thing. We don't realize what we're really like. So in my head, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm reasonably fit. It's, I don't know why I get it from, but I, I do. And I, I do a few press-ups. And, 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 and the other day, I was sitting in my office on Friday, and, and there was, uh, was with a couple in the office, uh, Annie and I, and uh, the guy took off his coat. And when he took off his coat, he had guns and muscles. And, and I'm like, internally, all I was thinking was, he's thinking I'm just being polite and whatever. Internally, I'm thinking, oh, my word. I thought I was fit. Look at him. He's like, he's stacked. We measure ourselves by the wrong things, don't we? We measure ourselves with the wrong things. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. This is what Paul says. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Not even one. No one can stand before God, a holy God, with any self-confidence. We read through the Bible, we read Isaiah's reaction when he encounters a vision of God in his holiness in Isaiah chapter 6 and he cries out, he cries out, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. He suddenly saw what he was really like. Peter, when the apostle Peter, when he's he suddenly sees, realizes who Jesus is. In a, there's a moment where there's a, uh, there's a miraculous catch of fish because Jesus has given him some instructions and they, Peter knows all about fishing and then suddenly he, he sees this miraculous catch of fish and he realizes that Jesus is, uh, is who he says he is. And he, he just cries out, get away from me for I am a sinful man. You see, until we honestly face up to who God is and what we are like, there's no hope. We are poverty-stricken before God. The God who holds our lives in his hands. The God who is perfect in every way. The one who the Bible calls a consuming fire. We need to recognize a need of God, our hopelessness of our condition, and cry out for mercy. That's where we need to start. The start of any spiritual journey with God starts with crying out, God, I am undone. I have no hope. 
There's nothing good in me. I need rescuing. Help me. Save me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Unless you stop for me, Jesus, I've had it. I'm finished. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 57. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. You see, in the end, your bank balance, my bank balance, our education, our family connections, they're not going to help. Those who are poor in spirit throw themselves on God's mercy. Throw themselves on God's mercy. And Jesus says that there's a reward. We've been singing about a reward, the promises of God. There are promises in these Beatitudes. There are promises. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. You see, we don't receive it necessarily in this life, but in the life to come. We receive a bit of it now, but there's something that lies ahead of us that's far greater Jesus came to open the way into God's presence, open the way for us to have a relationship with his Father. Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross by by taking the punishment for our wrongdoing, our sin. In doing so, he flung wide the gates of heaven that each one of us can go through. That each one of us, when we recognize the poverty of our spirit, can Encounter the living God. There's hope for us. And as he died on the cross, in his dying moments, as he was bearing the sins of the world, the man on the cross next to him, the thief on the cross next to him, who's being punished, is just about to die himself. And in a moment, he recognizes the poverty of his spirit and he cries out, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he cries and Jesus says today, his dying words, Jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise. The gates of heaven are open for those who are poor in spirit. There's a a great old hymn. Many of you will never have heard of it, but it was written by someone called Augustus Toplady. Written many years ago. It was inspired by, he was in the middle of a terrible storm in the Mendip Hills. And uh, as the storm came over and the thunder and lightning came over, he had to shelter in uh, this, uh, this cleft of a rock, rocky outcrop. And there he wrote the first words of what became a famous hymn called Rock of Ages. I want you to listen to what he wrote because he caught something of what it means to be poor in spirit. Listen to this verse. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Each one of us, Jesus says, needs to come to him with honesty. The second thing we need to do... Jesus says, is we come with heartbrokenness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Have you ever been heartbroken? 
Have you ever been heartbroken? When you finally accept the truth that maybe uh, this relationship is over, it's not going to work, the pain is awful. But I want to tell you, it's the, first thought, it's the first step towards recovery. The pain that we go through when we, we suddenly realize it's over. It's the first step towards recovery. And the same is true spiritually. When we recognize and acknowledge our state before God, we should be heartbroken over our sin, our wrongdoing. We should weep over our failures. All too often we deflect from the real issues. We never take responsibility. We blame others. There is little godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. When was the last time we wept over our sin? When I, God encountered me, I was 23, I had made such a mess of my life. Those next two years, every time I prayed, I wept and wept and wept and wept. I wept because I couldn't believe. I wept at the mercy of God. I wept at the state of my own heart. I wept over, I just wept and wept. God wants us to be those who mourn over our sin. Mourn over the sin. When was the last time we mourned over the state of this nation? When you see someone else struggling and maybe getting into things they shouldn't, do you mourn over them? Do you weep before God for them? We're to be those who mourn over sin. And God promises to help us when we do. He says those who mourn will be comforted. God comes and draws near. Jesus himself was the promised comforter. Isaiah talks about And when Jesus came, he's come to comfort us. He's no longer here. He's back with his Father in heaven. But he has sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to draw near and comfort us. And as we mourn, we know the comfort of God. And as we receive the comfort of God, we can help those who mourn with the comfort we ourselves have received. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Heartbrokenness. The third thing is this, is humbleness. Blessed are the humble or meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, in today's world, humility or meekness is synonymous with being weak and powerless. And so when when Jesus preached and was talking to the crowd on on that mountain... They were expecting him to say, come on, rise up. We're going to overthrow this, uh, uh, the Romans. And he, they hear things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the meek. What? Really? We live in a society that, de- that despise meekness. J. John puts it like this. The meek shall inherit the earth. If that's okay with everybody else. You see, Jesus spoke into a society that despised meekness and humility. It was an attribute that they associated with slavery. Being meek and mild got you nowhere. Roman soldiers could legally make anyone carry their bags for one mile, but no further. Jesus says we're to be those who go a second mile. We're to be those who are humble and meek. It makes no sense that the humble or meek would inherit the earth. That can only surely come about by power or force. Nothing has changed over the centuries. 
Have you ever seen two people who are, are, being, are being meek? And they're like, they're standing at a, at a doorway and they're going, you first. No, 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 you. No, 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 you. You go first. Have you, have you ever done that? Have you watched that happen? And then in the end, they both go like that and they pop, oh, 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 sorry, sorry. <laughs> they get nowhere. They, they, nothing's happening. That's our, that's our view of, of meekness. That's what we, we think. Is that really what it's all about? No, it's not. You see, the... The humility Jesus is talking about is not false meekness. It's not low self-esteem. It's not thinking nothing of ourselves. God says the opposite. When God says the opposite and we think nothing of ourselves, that isn't impressive. That's not a godly quality. Humility is never an excuse for mediocrity or avoiding confrontation. The Greek word means gentle, humble, meek, considerate. It's the opposite of being arrogant, aggressive, big-headed. We've already seen that uh, Jesus has talked about us being honest, being humble towards God, having a right view towards God. But is he just repeating himself? Is he saying the same thing again? No, he's not. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, that Jesus was talking about humility towards others. He says this, Humility is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct towards others. It is therefore two things. It is my attitude towards myself, and it is an expression of that in my relationship to others. You see, when we're truly humble, no one can say something about us that's too bad. Because actually we realize what we're really like. We can say something about ourselves, can't we? There are moments we say things about ourselves. We say, oh, I'm not very good at that. And, and sometimes what we're secretly wanting to happen is someone to go, no, you're not, you're really good at it. And then they say, no, you're not very good, are you? You rubbish at it. And you're like, inside, there's something comes up. How dare you say that about me? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Go, oh, no, I'm not very good at that. And come on. Yeah, you are rubbish, aren't you? What? what, do you, what do you, how dare you? That is the point. That is false humility. Real humility is knowing who we are. No one can say something about us that's too bad. Because we know before God we have nothing going for us. Nothing going for us at all. Except his grace and his mercy. You see, Jesus... Jesus was the meekest person that ever lived. He expressed his meekness in love. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus was meek yet never weak. He was humble, yet full of authority. He was powerful, yet had the heart of a servant. Humility involves the appropriate laying down of power, forgiving a wrong done to us, overlooking an offense, never bending the rules or ignoring sin, though. And we can only live like that way when we're secure in who we are, in our identity in Christ. 
Knowing that he is everything to us. Knowing that we've received grace from God. Knowing that we've been forgiven, we can forgive others. It doesn't matter what others do to us because we've been forgiven the most heinous crime before God. Our rebellion against the God who created us. You see, that's why Paul could say to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew where he was going. He said, living this life, I live for Christ. But actually, it doesn't matter what you have, because whatever you do to me, it doesn't matter, because to die is gain. Because I know what's coming. There's a reward coming. There is a reward coming for me. Humility is a godly quality. It makes us great team players. We have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. It makes us bold in speaking the truth in love and brave in trusting God. That's what we're to be like. We're to be those who are humble. And finally, Jesus talks about hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, when Jesus used this word, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. We don't really understand what that means. We, well, hunger for us is a bit peckish. I feel a little peckish. Oh, I could do with a little... Um, Ooh, what's for dinner? Ooh, I feel, feel a little bit hungry now. That's not the hunger that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about in a society, they understood, there were moments they understood what it was to be hungry and thirsty. When they're absent, there's a raging, raging thirst. Not just, oh, I quite like a drink now. Hunger and thirst really meant something. The, the world tells us that we should desire wealth and riches, that we should seek pleasure, not allow anything to prevent us from pursuing it. We should want power and influence to control our own destinies. Jesus says we should hunger and thirst and desire righteousness. Righteousness is, fundam is fundamentally about how God views us, not how we view ourselves. It's very different. Are we hungry for God? You see, when we... When we view things from God's perspective, when we start to view ourselves from God's perspective, everything changes. You see, none of us can reach God's perfect standard without his help, without Jesus' help. Whether we miss by an inch or a mile, we still miss. None of us can draw near to a holy God. It's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. It's only through pursuing Jesus, being hungry and thirsty for the presence of God, for a relationship with God, do we receive righteousness. We receive it by grace, not by what we do. You see, hunger and thirst, God wants us to be hungry and thirsty people. How passionate are you for God and his ways? Are you passionate for God's presence? Is it something you can take or leave? Are you daily receiving grace from God and living in it? Are you thirsty and hungry for God's word? Do you want to read the Bible? Are you, do you get up in the morning and know that if you don't read God's word, you, you somehow there's something missing? It's almost like your energy, you've, you're lacking energy for the day. God's word gives us life. It's a lamp to our feet. It shows us the way to go. Are we hungry for, the Holy, uh, for, uh, 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 for God? Are we thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Do we wake up in the morning saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. I need you today. I need you today. 
Jesus said, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. We should examine ourselves and desire to be more like Jesus. Changes everything. You see, when when we're ill, if you're ill, what happens? You don't feel like eating. You don't feel like drinking. You just don't. You've lost your appetite. You lose your thirst. You, you get a bit listless. When we're spiritually sick, when there's something wrong, we lose our hunger for God. We lose our thirst for a spirit. We, that longing for God's word dissipates. Are we hungry for righteousness? See, the promise is if we pursue righteousness, we will be satisfied. We will be filled. What does it look like being filled? The Bible talks about the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. Once we're filled with God's Spirit, when God's Word dwells in us richly, It just spills out of us in the way we talk to others, in the way we speak to others, in the way we relate to others. We're full of confidence because now we know the way into God's presence is open. We can approach our Father in heaven with confidence. This Father in heaven who loves us so much that he doesn't hold back from us, he's not like earthly fathers who sometimes. Get it wrong. He's a perfect father who loves us. And he says that as we approach him and as we cry out to him, he hears our cries. God hears our cries. He answers our prayers. He satisfies us. Confidence. Being filled means that we just recognize the goodness of God. Thanksgiving pours out of us. We're so grateful, so when we're encouraged to thank God for what he's done, we're not going, oh, what can I thank God for? We thank God for everything. We thank God for the very breath in our lungs and the the clothes we wear, for our health and strength. We thank him for his kindness. We thank him for his fatherly discipline. He loves us so much, he is not prepared to allow us to stay in the state that we're in. So he speaks to us and challenges and provokes us to change. Being filled means being filled with the Spirit. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. Be Go on being filled. Every day receive his Spirit. If we're going to live for God in these days, we need to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the things of God. God wants us to be a people who pursue Him. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to finish with this. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. That was Adam. Sin fell in the garden and it's affected us all. How much more Will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Reign 
life. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I'm not sure whether we could say that. Do we believe to die is gain? If we get this truth, get these truths, actually, to die is gain. We live differently. We don't fear anything. There's no fear of death anymore. There's no fear that can overwhelm us because Christ is in us and with us. The Father in heaven loves us. He's for us. And we can reign in life. And Jesus is saying there's a a better way. There's, There's a way to life. You want to live a successful life? Here's the way. Follow me. And we're going to break bread. Going to hand over to Rob in a second. But maybe in this moment, let's just close our eyes and pray. We're going to hand over to Rob to lead us through breaking of bread. But this breaking of bread is remembering Jesus. Focusing on him. Lord, we just want to thank you that your word is powerful and active. It's true, changes us. We thank you that you want to bless us. And we want to be those who are poor in spirit. Be honest before you about what we're really like. We can't fool you anyway. We want to be those who are, who mourn genuinely mourn the state of our that we get ourselves into and we know that if we do that you'll comfort us we want to be those who are humble just lay our lives down, trust you give everything to you we want to be those who hunger and thirst after righteousness Lord, work these truths into our hearts, we pray.